And one of the reasons, I'm not saying the only reason, but one of the reasons for powerless Christians is forsaking the preaching. They forsake the preaching of God's Word, therefore they don't have the blessing of God. The preaching will fill your heart with courage. It'll give you boldness. The preaching will fill you, let's say, fill your spiritual tank with gas. Let's put it that way. Preaching can do that for you. Would you open your Bible, please, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, while you're turning there, I'd like to uh, welcome back home Pastor Devian and his wife Esther. We're so excited to have you back here with us. We prayed so much for you. And um, how's, uh, how's life treating you? Yeah. So, yeah, they're getting set up in their new home. That's pretty exciting. Um, chapter number one, and let's see here. Um, we'll let you keep your seats there, but would you read along out loud with me from verse 18 to verse 21, verse 18 to verse 21 and read out loud along with me now. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. This last verse, verse 21, is very interesting, isn't it? Talks about preaching. But it talks about preaching being foolishness in the eyes of the world. And certainly, if the world were to tune into the broadcast, they'd sit back and they'd say, How foolish! How foolish to spend your time there. How foolish it is to go out in the cold and go to church and bring your Bible with you and sit there and let some guy uh, preach at you. How foolish is that? And yet, it's through the, the foolishness of preaching that men and women get saved. Now, we started a little series here called um, Living the Victorious Christian Life. And we've had five lessons now. We began, of course, lesson number one, by learning to recognize sin, to repent from it, to remove it from our lives. Lesson number two, we talked about the filling of the Holy Spirit. And it's something available to all of us. And there is no reason why we cannot be filled daily with the Holy Spirit, except it be for this reason, we forget. We keep forgetting to ask God. Father, fill me today with the Holy Spirit. So you have to do something to jar your memory. You've got to put a big note to remind yourself. Put it there in your Bible or put it in your prayer closet. Every day you want to ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. First you want to deal with any sin or worldliness in your heart or life. and Get that confessed, repented of, and then ask the Lord to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Lesson number three, we looked at the Bible. And, oh, the Bible. 
Hooray for the Bible, the Word of God. God wrote one book, and it's a worldwide bestseller still. And it cannot be destroyed. The most powerful governments of the world down through the ages have tried to destroy the Bible, but no can do. And there are billions of copies of the Bible in the world today. And we need to learn to let the Bible speak to us every day. When you have your devotions, it's not enough just to read through your chapter. You need to be looking for God to speak to you. You need to be listening to the pages. And that's how you get a lot out of your Bible. And then, of course, the next lesson we looked at was earnest daily prayer. We need to pray with some unction. If your prayer is basically not much more than... uh, Oh, now I lay me down to sleep. Oh yeah, bless the missionaries. Uh, I guess that's it. Amen. If that's about the extent of your prayer, you don't have prayer. Uh, Prayer will let you slip behind the curtain, the curtain of this world, the curtain of time, the curtain of eternity, and meet with the one true living God. It's through prayer that we can have such wonderful, intimate fellowship with God. My biggest regret is... I don't spend enough time in intimate fellowship with Almighty God. And that's one reason I'm really looking forward to being in heaven. So I can have uninterrupted fellowship with Almighty God. It's something actually quite wonderful. Um, Last week, we looked at lesson number five, which was regular church fellowship. And that's something that we all need. When we get to the point where we can forsake the house of God and not even feel it, Boy, we are, we're in a bad, bad situation. Um, we really need revival. Now, most of us, I think, are aware of uh, what's been going on for 10 days down in Asbury College, down in the States in Kentucky. And for 10 days straight, they had this um, tremendous meeting. And I, I don't know the exact figures, but I read some some where in the neighborhood of 50,000 people came and went from this, this meeting. And it just kept going on, you know, 24 hours a day for 10 days. And they called it revival. However, there was very, very little of the Word of God and particularly very little preaching going on. It's the Bible, God's Word, that brings revival. So we'll know if there was real revival, if there's lasting results. You know, I praise the Lord for when God's people get together. But if all we're getting together for is because of the music, you know, and emotionalism, it's not going to last. It's going to be gone the next day. Or maybe um, two cups of coffee later and it, it's going to fade. So it's very important that we have regular church fellowship. Regular church fellowship. You know, um, Most of us have some kind of job or employment that we have, but we're not hit and miss. We're regular with our employment, aren't we? Uh, Some days it's easier to get to work. Some days it's a little harder to get to work. But as you're regular, faithful at your job, you maintain your employment. And of course, that gives you your paycheck for which you're very thankful. Well, faithfulness is so important. Building good habits over time really has rewards and big dividends. And God blesses the Christian man or woman who will be faithful, faithful to his church. 
The Lord Jesus died for the church. And as we show ourselves faithful to it, it brings his approval. Tonight, we're going to have lesson number six. And we're going to look at the importance that preaching has upon our lives. Now, we read here a few moments ago, these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 about the foolishness of preaching. I want to suggest to you that when God wants to do something great, he'll often use something small so that he can get the glory. Preaching is one of those things. Because really, when you think about it, it does look a little odd, doesn't it? You know, if you stand back and you look at a group of people sitting there and someone standing up front and preaching, and you know, it, you might say, yeah, that does look a little bit strange. If I've never seen it before, of course, it's, if it's not something I grew up with or I'm used to, it would look a little bit odd, wouldn't it? And in the eyes of the world, it is foolish. When God wanted to redo the world over, he called upon a man. What was that man's name? Give you a hint. Starts with the letter N. Who? Noah, yeah. And uh, God told Noah what he was going to do. And so God told him the plan. And of course, it had never rained from heaven ever before. All water came up from the ground up. That's the system God had used up to that point. And so he told Noah he was going to make the water come from the sky down. It had never happened before. Therefore, big a boat, build a boat, great big one. And it was huge. And it would have uh, housed everyone who wanted to come. It was certainly big enough. But you know the story of Noah and the flood and the ark and all that. But there is something that even today, skeptics and scoffers are, are calling foolish, the story of Noah's flood. And yet, in civilizations all over the world, they all seem to have some kind of story about a large boat and a man. That's very interesting if you do a, a little study on world cultures. All over in remote places of the world where there are people, they, they, they have this, well, ancient story that they're aware of. It's just very interesting. There was a day in Israel's history when they were being challenged by this nine and a half foot giant. And he was the strongest giant uh, warrior on the face of the earth at the time. And he was calling out uh, to Israel and he was cursing Israel's God. And so what did God do to defeat him? Chose a teenage boy with a slingshot, no doubt. And so uh, using one rock and a slingshot, this teenage boy brought this nine and a half foot giant who probably weighed somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 pounds or more, uh, brought him crashing face down to the, uh, the ground, then went and took his own sword, Goliath's own sword, and cut Goliath's head off with that. It must have been a, a large head, don't you think? You know, and how he uh, lifted that thing up. It must have been dripping. Ooh, that sounds creepy, but it's true. You see what God did when he wants to do something great. He'll often use something small. Who would have ever thought of using a teenage boy and a slingshot and a stone to bring about this great victory? The story of Jericho. They marched around it for seven days. Well, who in their right mind would try and win a battle that way? Jesus wanted to feed the 5,000. So rather than uh, calling Uber Eats, 
or making some arrangement, you know, with the local grocery stores, there's a little boy with five loaves and two fish. It's something very small. God uses small things to bring about big things. That's how God does it. And he does the same thing with preaching. Tonight I'm going to show you three powerful things preaching will do for you. It's important that we expose ourselves to preaching of the Word of God. It's very vital if we want to live the victorious Christian life. This is the sixth lesson on how it can be done. And please, take a note or two or commit to memory something about the preaching. So let's have a word of prayer and then let's jump right in with this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for preaching. We thank you for the Word of God that can be uh, uh, brought and uh, opened and preached. And Lord, this concept in the eyes of the world, it's foolish. In fact, sorry to admit this to you, Lord, but in the eyes of many Christians, preaching isn't very important. Father, I pray you would change that opinion in the eyes and the minds of the hearts of every Christian, that they would begin to see how important it is and how powerful and how the, the power of God comes flowing through preaching. Please tune our heart to yours. You've chosen preaching to do great things. Lord, we didn't invent this ourselves. This is your invention. We're just trying to faithfully follow you. So help us tonight to grasp the meaning, the importance of preaching in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. I want to suggest to you that God wants you and me to develop a love for preaching. What sort of things do you have a, a love for? There must be something that you, you like. Maybe for some it's shopping. They love to go shopping. Maybe for some it's the, the look of fast automobiles. and Wow, look at that one. Look at the tires on it. And Wow, did you see the brake calipers were painted bright red? Did you notice that? Ooh, look at the hood ornament on that car. And some people really have a, a fascination, a love for cars. For some, it's sports. They love hockey, or they love basketball, or they love football. And they can tell you all kinds of details about it. For some, I suppose it's golf. I think there's a lot of pastors that like golf. Um, I've played it a few times. I'm not very good at it. But um, I think there's a few pastors that are pretty good at it. They love it. For others, maybe it's fishing. They love to get out fishing or possibly hunting or some other sport or, you know, you name it. Whatever's under the sun, there's someone out there that's going to that's gonna love it. God wants you and I to love the preaching of his word. And that's what we need to start to love. Now, how, how can you tell if you have a love for preaching? How would you know if you have a love for preaching? Well, I think if you compare your love for something else. If you had a, a love, say, for um, a basketball, you would probably have pictures of basketball players up on the wall. Maybe you'd have a, a large basketball sitting in the, the closet, you know, that you can grab at a moment's notice. Maybe you own a pair of basketball sneakers or basketball shorts, possibly you have a couple of favorite teams and you can rattle off the names of the team members. Well, if you have a love for preaching, then you're going to have 
access to sermons. It used to be uh, old technology, mind you, that the cassette tapes, you remember cassette tapes? Does anyone here remember cassette tapes? You get these and you put them in a cassette player and you press play. And then it was 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, whatever, and you'd listen. And that's how, back in the 60s, mostly I guess the 70s and 80s, how that they recorded and distributed sermons and preaching. It was on cassette tapes. Some pastors would have the, the sermon recorded and they'd make multiple copies and they would send them out to people around the world. I know this sounds a little odd here in this modern day of 2023, but I'm telling you as I stand here, there was a, a time, a, a, an age, not that long ago, where Christians had a little library of sermons, preaching sermons in their home. How can you tell if you have a love for preaching? Well, you'll have your Bible with you when you come to church. You'll have a pen, a pencil, or something, maybe a highlighter that you'll bring with you. And you'll be marking your Bible. You'll have some notepaper, perhaps. You see, there are little ways that you can tell if you have a love for preaching. I have a love for my wife. And there's all kinds of little things that I have that remind me of her. I have pictures of her. I wear the ring she put on my hand. Hmm? I'm always, well, we're together a lot. So we, you know, we're in each other's line of sight. And I, I love the woman. And I would do it all over again. Well, what about preaching? God wants you and I to love the preaching of his word. And so what is there in our lives that is indicative that we love preaching? So it's a good thought, I think. Preaching is God's method of helping you and I to overcome the problems of human misery. Common woes, mountains of misfortune. You say, what kind of problems? I'll tell you, the preaching of God's word will help us with marriage problems. It'll help us with financial problems. It'll help us with boyfriend-girlfriend problems. It'll help us with children problems. It'll help us with medical problems, believe it or not. It'll help us with discouragement, with depression, with faint-heartedness. All spiritual problems. Preaching will help you. Verse 21. And after that, in wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. You see, their wisdom, they don't, they, you can't know God by the world's wisdom. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now there's three things that preaching will do for you. Number one, preaching will give you wisdom to know what is right. Wisdom to know what is right. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Please look at verse 25. It says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. It doesn't mean literally that God is foolish and weak. It means that if he were foolish, his foolishness would be still wiser, far wiser than the, the smartest human being. It doesn't mean that God is weak. But if God were weak, 
he would still be way stronger than the strongest human. That's what verse 25 is telling us. Look at verse 26. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. God, through preaching, will make us to know right from wrong. He will help us to know His will through preaching. He will give us principles of success through preaching. He wants to fill our hearts and our minds with the great secrets of the universe. Can you imagine if your automobile was not working right and so you try and fix your car without a a fix-it manual, without the uh, instruction manual, the repair manual, and you're pulling things apart right, left, and center, Everything, you know, kind of looks foreign, strange to you, but you throw it in a box, whatever. You could strip that car down to nuts and bolts. Still never find the problem. A good fix-it manual will tell you, look here, is it doing this? Yes, no, yes. Then look over here, and is it doing this? Yes, no. And uh, with simple logic, you will find the problem, and then you fix it. And whether it's your automobile or your oven or your clock or uh, your bicycle or your TV. Listen, God has chosen preaching to help us to know what is right and what is wrong. If you're faced with a question, maybe there's a, a big decision you need to make and you're not sure what is right and what is wrong. You start exposing yourself to more preaching. If you come to one service a week, come to two services a week. If you come to two services a week, come to three services a week. The more of the preaching of God's Word that you sit under, the more that God is going to be pleased to give you what you're looking for. No, there's no chapter and verse you can turn to that says how to fix a knocking noise in your engine. There's nothing like that. But God will give you the wisdom. You will know right from wrong. And he'll do that through preaching. Number two, preaching will give you faith. Faith to believe what is right. Now, number one, preaching will give you wisdom to know what is right and what is wrong. But number two, preaching will give you faith to believe what is right. You see, it's not enough to know what is right and what is wrong. You need the faith to be able to believe it. And that's what preaching will do for you. The very nature of preaching is to produce faith in you. In John chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus said, Them also which shall believe on me through their word. So here Jesus is making his great high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. He's praying for people who aren't even saved yet and that they will get saved through the preaching of those that are saved now. That's what verse 20 is talking about. Romans chapter number 10 and verse 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
as the Word of God is preached. That's how faith comes. Now, there are many quote-unquote preachers who do not preach the Word of God. They'll preach on psychology. That's very popular these days. Some like to preach on politics. That's popular as well. Some like to preach on stories of little puppy dogs and, and things. But they're not preaching the Word of God. God has promised to bless His Word. If in a sermon you want to include a little story, an illustration about a little lost doggy with a waggly tail, go for it. But that's just a little add-on to the Word of God. There's no stories about little puppies that are going to get anybody saved. There's no preaching of philosophy that's going to produce faith in any lost sinner to be saved. There's no preaching on politics that's going to help any Christian to be able to overcome right, uh, the, the, sorry, but evil and wrong in their life. It's only the Word of God. And so the Word of God is being preached. Now, take your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Chapter number 3. And look please at verse number 5. Now this is in context of Paul's uh, argument there with the believers in Corinth because there was divisions. Some had favorite preachers there and they said, well, my, my favorite preacher is better than yours. And no, no, mine is better than yours. But in verse 5, he says, who then is Paul and who is Apollos? These were two powerful preachers back in the day. But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. You see, it's not the preacher, it's what's being preached. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying it doesn't matter whether it was Paul or whether it was Apollos. The fact is the word of God was preached and that's how you got saved. And by the way, the way you get saved is the way you grow. It's the same faith in God's word. Now let's take our Bible and turn to the right to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, and we'll go to chapter 11, shall we? Hebrews chapter number 11. Give you just a moment to find that. <clears throat> now we're talking this point number two, what preaching will do for you and for me. Preaching will give us faith to believe what is right. Preaching, number one, will tell us what is right. Preaching, number two, will give us the faith to be able to, to believe what is right. And this is so very important. Um, if you look, please, at chapter 11, and um, yeah, let's read the first six verses together. Hmm? We can do that. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 6. Let's read out loud together. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, 
so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found, because God hath translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so we're told here in these few verses a lot about faith. And that's what preaching will do for you and for me. It will build faith in us. If we want to please God, it has to be by faith. Anything that you can do just by sight or by strength is not going to be pleasing to God. But when you do it by faith, that pleases God. And I'll give you an example of that. It's coming in a month's time. It's called Sacrifice Sunday. We do that by faith. When you think about it, logically in the world's wisdom, it doesn't seem to make much sense where we would want to take a week's paycheck and give that to God. And yet, God is calling upon us to live by faith. And it's by faith that we do this. Believing that God will receive it and God will bless it. And you know what? He does. For years and years now, we've seen that in people's lives. No one has ever gone broke because they've made a sacrificial gift to God here in this church anyhow, i tell you that. My wife and I, we're no strangers to sacrificial giving. We don't make millions of dollars. We don't have large bank accounts full of gold bullion and so on. We don't have that. We live by faith too. And we honor God and God honors that back to us. But we please God by faith. We're told here of Enoch. And Enoch pleased God by faith. And God translated him. In other words, he sort of raptured him off the earth and into heaven. Enoch and God got fellowshipping together and they would walk together. Enoch walked with God. And it's said that one day they were out walking together. And God turned to Enoch and said, You know, it's getting late in the day. Why don't you come home with me? And God took him. And they looked for him. Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Where'd he go? And they couldn't find him because God had taken him. And he has testimony here in the book of Hebrews because of that. Before that, we're told about Abel and how he offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. But I'll have you know something. He didn't just do one sacrifice to God. If you look at verse 4 again, God testifying of his... What's the next word? Tell me out loud. Go ahead, tell me. Gifts. You see the S on the end of the word gift? More than once. Abel did the right thing over and over. Abel wanted to please God. He did it by faith. And he pleased God. That's for sure. You see, in verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for. You don't have them yet. But the substance, that which stands beneath and holds everything up, the substance is faith. 
And it's the evidence of things not seen. You don't see them yet. You don't have them in your hand yet. But your faith tells you, God said it. God said it. It's like a boy, a little boy, and his daddy promises him, this Saturday we're going to go fishing. And the boy puts his faith in his daddy's promise. And he tells his, his buddies, this Saturday I'm going fishing with my daddy. And he believes it. He put his faith in his father's word. Our heavenly father makes promises that he keeps. Earthly fathers break their promises. It's sad. Earthly fathers are, are human and sometimes they beyond circumstance beyond their control. They're not able to fulfill that promise. Not our heavenly father. He knows to the end from the beginning. Every promise in the book that he makes, he is well able to keep. Preaching gives you faith in what God says is right. Adoniram Judson was a great missionary soul winner. And he was thrown into jail for his faith early in his missionary career. And there in the country of Burma, in a foul-smelling jail with 32 pounds of chains on his feet, a fellow prisoner turned to Adoniram Judson and asked him how he was going to win the heathen to Christ when he's sitting in a stinking prison, chained up to the, to the gills. And to that, Adoniram Judson replied, The prospects are just as bright as the promises of God. That is faith. Adoniram Judson was no stranger to preaching. He heard lots of it, and he himself was a great preacher. Preaching will do a lot for you and I. Number one, it'll show us what is right. Number two, it'll give us faith to believe what is right. And number three, preaching will give you power. I've said point number one, preaching will give you wisdom. Point number two, preaching will give you faith. Point number three, preaching will give you power. You see, remember, at the beginning of this message, I said that when God wants to do some great things, He'll most often do it through something small, something insignificant, something that you'd be looking at and say, no, that can't be it, and you'd push it to one side. But that was it. That, that very thing you pushed, that was it. And in this case, it's preaching. And the world hates Preaching, the devil hates it because he knows there's wisdom, faith, and power in preaching. He knows it and he hates it. And he fills the minds of worldly people with thoughts of scorn, disdain, foolishness. I'd rather be out doing this or that than sitting listening to preaching. They don't understand. Their wisdom is what is foolish. But God has taken preaching, something as simple as the preaching of His Word. And through that, God gives to us wisdom and faith and power. Power to do what? Power to do what's right. Power to do what's right. So many people in this world, they know what's right, but they have no power to do it. Go down in Hastings Street. You'll see all kinds of 
men and women, maybe a few years ago, they walked upright, they had good health, they had family, they had jobs, they had prospects, but they got into drugs. Now look at them. Physically, they're a wreck. They don't even look like what they used to look like. The marks of sin are all over their face. Their bodies are stooped. Their hands are shaking. Their health is shot. The family's gone. They've lost job after job. They've got nothing except a craving, unending addiction for those drugs in their body. They have no power. They have no power over it. If you ask them tonight, you walk up to them, say, listen, if you could somehow quit your addiction and walk away from it, would you do it? I would dare say that most of them would look you in the eye and say, I wish, I wish, I wish I could. And then they'll probably stoop their shoulders and drop their head and say, I wish I had never begun. I wish I never took that that first experimental drug, that, that first injection, that first snort. I wish I had never done it. I know that's true with alcoholics. So many men and women have absolutely ruined their lives because of alcohol. They wish they could wind back the hands of time. They have no power. But I'm happy to tell you tonight, God still has power. God has power to help a man or woman who's absolutely bent over in heavy chains of addiction to alcohol and drugs. God has shown himself powerful in the lives of many men and women. They've gotten release. They've gotten freedom. Now it comes at quite a cost, mind you. But you know, they paid quite a cost to become an addict. They paid with their health. They paid with their family. They paid with their reputation. They paid with all their wealth. They paid with everything they had in order to become an addict. Now, there's going to be a cost to come out of it. But God has the power. But hey, listen, I'm preaching to the choir tonight. None of us here tonight are chained up with addiction to alcohol and drugs. But yet we may have other chains. There may be some mental, emotional torment that we have to struggle with and put up with. There may be unpleasant thoughts that dance around in our heads sometimes like some kind of drunken sailor. There may be other things like some financial bondage that we've found ourselves in. There may be trouble at home, husband and wife problem, parent-child problem. There may be problem with work, problem with school. There may be some other health problem. God has the power. And here's what he did. He took something as foolish as preaching and he put into preaching wisdom and faith and power to do what's right. A lot of Christians, they know what's right, but they just don't seem to have the power to do what's right. 
And I'm happy to say God has that power. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look please once again here at verse number... Hmm. <laughs> I wrote the wrong reference down. Well, that's going to be for a future sermon. I do believe that there are a lot of powerless Christians, a lot of Christians in the world, but powerless Christians. And one of the reasons, I'm not saying the only reason, but one of the reasons for powerless Christians is forsaking the preaching. They forsake the preaching of God's word, therefore they don't have the blessing of God. The preaching will fill your heart with courage. It'll give you boldness. The preaching will fill you Let's say fill your spiritual tank with gas. Let's put it that way. Preaching can do that for you. Back in the Old Testament, after the Jews uh, were allowed to come back to the promised land, they were deported for 70 years, as you know, over to Babylon. They were allowed to come back and they were going to rebuild the temple. And the old devil got in there and says, no, you won't, and bogged them down and bogged them down. They had nothing but trouble. And so, here's what God did. Through the preaching of a man named Zechariah. And in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6, the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And through the preaching, the work was done. The power was given. God has chosen preaching. I want to suggest to you, please, develop a heart for preaching. Oh boy, we get to hear God's Word preached. Hallelujah. In chapel today, 11 o'clock, in our Bible college, we got to hear the Word of God being preached. And the Word of God preached gave us wisdom and gave us faith and gave us power. We need to be at all three preaching services, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. I believe we need to look upon them as sacred, as golden opportunities. Listen, in a, in a week's time, if you eat three meals a day, you've eaten 21 meals in a week, plus a few snacks maybe, okay? But you've eaten at least 21 times. And you need three spiritual meals a week plus devotions every day. There was a man who after 30 years of marriage, he was asked about his wife's cooking. And so the man sat down with a, a pencil and paper and he figured that in 30 years of marriage, he had eaten 32,850 meals, most of which were his wife's cooking. And although he was not able to rhyme off uh, the menu of any one single meal, he knew that without those 32,000 meals, he would have starved to death you might not be able to remember a whole bunch of different sermons that you've heard, but I can guarantee you, without them, you would have starved to death spiritually. 
develop a great love in your heart for preaching. Heavenly Father, thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word. Thank you.